Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chen. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing... Hey guys, hey guys, can I say something? Sure. Okay, oh, I just watched the social satire set in the dystopian Japan of the near future, where, in order to push its draconian agenda and quell the masses, the government enacts a law to offload a wrongly victimized group of individuals to a deserted, trash-strewn island, where they are expected to fight to the death or face eventual extermination. In the face of such odds, the protagonists must band together and rely on the bonds of friendship, especially one battle-scarred lone wolf who learns about you know, the importance of trust. In the end, the evil government goons are overthrown by an insurgent group of idealistic students who incite revolution and hack the system, literally, while the main antagonist has a surprising change of heart due to his affection for his ward. It's Battle Royale, or Hour of Dogs. Oh, wow. Wow, thank you, William. That's a wonderful summary. I think uh, you've pretty much covered all the connections for us, William, so we can all go home early today. So, uh, yep, just listen to, listen to that one again, listeners. Excellent. So it is it's Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson and Battle Royale, which has become a bit of a cult classic. And uh, who's the director? I'm not sure who the director um, is. But it, he, it's, it's Kinji Fukasaku. Um, I think this was one of his... Oh, it was his final film in 2000. And he's, he was quite an elderly director. Um, mm-hmm. Well, maybe not elderly, but an older statesman of Japanese cinema by this time, wasn't mm-hmm. he? So, uh, so I think it's interesting when we come on to discuss the themes in Battle Royale that it, it does sort of, it resonates with me as a school teacher, but uh, yeah. certainly as, as somebody who is uh, mature and is getting frustrated with the, uh, the lack of politeness and just the, the mm-hmm. rudeness and the insolence of the youth of today. So I feel him in a lot of ways. I you definitely know. want to comment on that. But what I will say is, yeah, th- these, these two films before William had, had written this wonderful summary, uh, we thought social satire with uh, you know on an island set in Japan was our, our kind of angle. And it wasn't until I think all of us watched both films, mm. when I watched Battle Royale again, that I was like, oh, this, there's quite a lot more going on here to connect these two films. <laughs> and it may, be, it may be worth noting um, publicly for our listeners, sometimes we have seen a film um, in order to then choose the film that's going to go with it. And in this mm. instance, none of us had seen Isle of Dogs. I hadn't actually even seen Battle Royale, and I just threw that out there. And we thought, well, they're both set in Japan, and so we'll see what happens. And then it was uncanny to watch both films, yeah. which are, <laughs> on the face of it, so very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been actually quite uh, quite exhilarating to see to find connections between the two, because I think that's quite unexpected. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully this will be an illuminating uh, discussion. And before we jump in, uh, we've had a, a little bit of a discussion not just between the three of us, but also with our listeners around spoilers in our episodes. Um, and a couple of people have, who listen to, regularly listen to our podcast kind of came to us and said, look, um, we, we're only really listening to these once we've seen the films uh, and getting more out of them that way. So you can, you can spoil the, the films. We've seen them. Mm. So uh, we've had a discussion and kind of talked to a few more of our listeners. And all of us have unanimously agreed that we're going to change the ethos of cinema and context mm. to be spoiler-filled. Mm-hmm. So uh, we will have a spoiler warning at the start of each of our episodes. But if you haven't seen Isle of Dogs or Battle Royale, be warned. We will be talking about... Uh, well, everything's everything's up for for grabs in yes. terms of spoilers. Um, so yeah, if you haven't seen them and you don't want to be spoiled, pause the episode and revisit it at a later date. Yes, cool. 
Excellent. Well, let's jump in that first point that you said, which is the school teacher connection. Because mm. I wasn't a school teacher when I first saw this film. When you saw first saw Battle Royale, Battle Royale. Mm-hmm. yeah. And watching the film, I was like, oh gosh, I kind of relate to this teacher sometimes. Where he just, you know, you do. I mean, I'm not psychotic, but when he mm. throws the knife across the room and to shut up the kid, mm. you you do fantasize <laughs> about extreme measures to get kids to listen to whatever mm. the hell you're saying yes mm. or uh, maybe not that extreme no. but you're absolutely right I mean as with all good sort of um, f- fantasy I suppose or wishful there's a wish fulfillment element isn't there until things go barbarically wrong I, I mean the, the colours don't have to explode no electric shocks would be okay I would say yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes I did find that that was probably um, pushing it a little too far but um, I'd, but I, I'd, re- I'd read a comment um, about Battle Royale from somebody who has been teaching in Japan, a European who's been teaching in Japan for, for several decades, and who said, look, you know, the, the older Japanese generation are increasingly frustrated um, and upset and annoyed by the fact that Japan holds above all else politeness as sort of the one of the most key virtues, mm-hmm. and that they a lot of the older generation feel that the youth of today... Um, are the antithesis of that of that virtue, uh, and I believe that that's partly what uh, triggered the the director to come up with a, a film that's quite so audacious. Well, it's you know? based on a graphic novel, so it was, it was an existing text that he's he's adapted, um, but, but definitely one that, that was endeared to him, one that he wanted to explore. Yeah, and that's an interesting connection to make in terms of the sensibilities of who they are as a nation. Yes, um, I I was sitting there thinking, I wonder if he was a teacher at one point. <laughs> or whoever wrote it was a teacher because, yeah, it's it's it feeds into that idea that um, you know all they all the kids need is just just be rounded up and be taught taught what's what. Yeah, and of mm-hmm. course it plays with it plays yeah. with those sentiments and particularly with the two main characters mm-hmm. who are wonderful young people mm. um, and then really the, the true humans in the class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I have to say, having only watched it in 2018, and I know the film was made in 2000, obviously one of the first things I thought of was The Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't read anything about them. I mean, I've obviously read The Hunger Games and I've seen the films. I wasn't aware of her having, um, you know, r- written that book based on Battle Royale. And obviously there are some differences. But the very fact that the... The, the games in um, Battle Royale are constructed by the government and are run by the government and that they are able to track them and see what's going on. Mm. It's not quite televised, is it? But we do, no. but we do, we do know that the, the viewing population knows that it's going on because the TV cameras are there as the, the eventual winner um, comes out and all that sort of thing. And I wondered, did, did she get more, more stick for, um, mm. for, making, for stealing it from Battle Royale? Or really, do we just go, look, all stories are recycled Nowadays, well, yeah, I, I, I remember when Hunger Games came out, mm. a lot of people had drawn the, the Battle Royale mm. comparisons. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I've always enjoyed Battle Royale more so than the Hunger Games. Um, I, I think one of the reasons for me is it, it, it's really much more character-focused, um, whereas the Hunger Games, I mean, it focuses on Katniss mm. a lot. And mm. she, she is the, you know, the, the audience surrogate, in a yes. way. She, she's thrown to this world, has no idea what's going on, and it's all following her growth throughout all of the movies. Whereas I find Battle Royale is much more of an ensemble piece where mm. there's so many individual tiny little stories of, you know, teenage melodrama and everyone has has a purpose, even if, you know, they die literally within five seconds of mm. you meeting them. Yeah. Um, and it feels much, just much richer in a, in a better constructed world. But did you care for them? 
Um, some of them, yeah, yeah. I, I found I found myself, especially this time again, being a school teacher. Yeah. Uh, really feeling for some of the kids. Um, again, they're they're not really fleshed out, but they're fleshed no. out just enough for you to understand their motivations as to what they do. Like there's that kid who you know he's a stereotypical high achiever and he wants to survive the game so he can get into a great school, and that's his only line of dialogue. Yeah. But that's all you need to know. Yeah, sure. Um, and I find with the Hunger Games, it, you do have characters like that. Like Rue and um, uh, what's her name, Foxface. You just don't have the, the same richness of detail in, in all the the participants. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I do I do like Battle Royale more as a as a movie and as a concept. I think mm. because of that. Mm. And I think she's come forward, the writer of Hunger Games, and said that she wasn't aware of that text, and it's just really as a really? that she came up with a similar mm. idea. Yeah, um, and she did push it further. To be fair, yeah. she did set it in a in a an entire context where. Panem or Panem is is this dystopian city or dystopian land rather, and that there is a desperation to having to go and be tribute and mm. that sort of thing. So it, it, it's less, in a way, I think the Hunger Games is, and I almost shiver to say this, but almost more honourable in inverted commas because it is about you know um, fighting for your district and that sort of thing. Whereas mm. Battle Royale is just kind of really nasty. Yeah. <laughs> It's just we'll chuck a whole lot of students into a space. We give them no training whatsoever. Because mm-hmm. at least in the Hunger Games, you know, you get a little bit of time, don't you, to learn yeah. how, learn to use your bow and arrow and all that sort of thing. And they're literally told, this is what's happening. They're yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> Somebody dies in front of them. Someone gets their head blown off, knife to the head, and you're out. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> and there's something very exciting, I suppose, um, yeah. about being thrown <laughs> into that, that situation. But it's pretty nasty. One of the things that stuck out to me this time that I didn't really pick up as strongly the other times I've watched it, because I think this is the third or fourth time I've seen the film, Battle Royale, um, is the satire around you know young people feeling like what's going on in their world right then and there is life or death. You know? mm, and yeah. as teachers, I think we can appreciate the, the, um, how emotional young people can get over mm-hmm. seemingly silly things to us as adults. And it's like, and that's really um, emphasised at Battle Royale when the guy's dying and he says to the girl, you're really cute. Well, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and just yeah. that, that idea that what yeah. we're going through is life or death. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't as, that, I didn't pick that up the first, first few times first I watched it. First few viewings, it. yeah. And also, I guess on the, on the same note of watching it in 2018, mm. um, I do find it fascinating how this concept is now exploding with um, with Fortnite and with uh, play, play on Battlegrounds Battle Royale games, mm. and the whole Battle Royale genre of video game has in the past six months like True. become the biggest thing. Um, and is it a similar concept? Uh, yeah. It is, you know, so one one hundred players on an island, and you know, some of the games Fight are the more death. cartoony, and some are not. But yeah. it's, it's one winner, and it's deathmatch. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, this is a phenomenon. Kids around the world are not going to class. They're on their phones. Just 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Sure. Mm. I, I, I talk to my, my students, like, did you, did you stay up, you know, watching or playing Fortnite again? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I think is interesting about that is the individualism mm-hmm. um, in, in, tr- intrinsic in being the last man or woman or person standing, isn't it? Mm. And I wonder, you see, one thing that was quite interesting in Battle Royale is that they're, I don't know, half the, half the cohort ran off to work independently and the other half, say, banded together to think there mm. is, um, there is uh, not safety in numbers, but there is power in our banding together. Let's mm. see how this goes. Yeah. Um, and it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to know in a if anyone's analysing the games of Fortnite, 
to just to sort of track the players and see who works together with people before they're then forced to be on their own. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, and I mean this from a sociological perspective, mm -hmm. because certainly within the context of the schools that we work in, I think it's fair to say there is less of an individualistic um, culture among the culture of our kids yeah, and yeah. much more of a don't you talk about my brother's cousin's friend like that yeah. um, and we're all in this together so yeah. wouldn't it be interesting to see you know how people either play those games or how they would um, respond to these kind of films you know mm, yeah. and the choices to be made and I mean I, I think Battle Royale the film makes a very very strong case for working together mm. um, the, the people who succeed in the end are the ones who show empathy and who actually bond together to fight this greater threat. And the, the lone wolves, I mean, they, they all suffer at the end. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, it's interesting, because I think there is a tiny segue here into Isle of Dogs, mm. because you'll remember that, and I can't remember, or, you know, it's Duke and King and Boss mm. and the <laughs> other dude. And, oh, my gosh, I enjoyed their dialogue together so much. <laughs> um, so Ed Norton, Bob Balaban... Get Jeff Goldblum and Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you notice how those four often, well, they were banded, they were together the whole time, mm. even when um, Brian, Cranston. Brian Cranston's yeah. character is off, sort of being a lone wolf. Yeah. Or, you know, sort of like, a, I'm, a, yeah, I, I'm not going to do what the rest of you are doing. Mm -hmm. Let's take a vote on it. Should he do what we <laughs> tell him? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I suppose that's an interesting um, parallel. Possibly I, unintentional. I loved Isle of Dogs so much I was so surprised how much I loved that film um, I was sort of going in going oh yeah I mean I've always loved Wes Anderson but oh, how, how many more quaint yeah. symmetrical shots can I really take <laughs> um, and I just I took my, me and my brother went together and we just had a blast from start to finish and yeah. I was laughing you know not laugh out loud laughing but definitely chuckling to myself at visual gags within the first few frames yeah um, yeah there's a, there's, a, there's a wonderful energy about that film my experience is exactly the same. I'm kind of like fatigued, but I, I think I probably said before, I'm so bored of Bill Murray, period. <laughs> and I'm bored of people who use him relentlessly in their films, did which you, is this film. Do you remember 10 years ago when he appeared in Zombieland? It was the Yeah, it was like, thing. wow, we ah, haven't seen yeah. him for ages. Yeah, he was cool. And now I'm just over him. And same. So with Wes Anderson films, I'm like, yeah, they're nice, mm. but I don't really care. And, um, and I was utterly enchanted by every, mainly, I have to say, mainly every single frame. It was so beautiful. To look at, it was beautiful. And I said to my husband at the end of it, as the titles went up, I said, you know, I would have, a, if I could, I would have a, a room in my house that was papered, wallpapered, uh, with every frame <laughs> from that film, because right. there was so much to look at. And I loved yeah. the symmetry, and I really enjoyed the beauty of it all, as mm. well as the charming dialogue and the great... Um, character intonations and all that sort of thing. I love that setting with the bottle house. Oh my gosh, oh. it all lit up. Yeah, absolutely yeah. beautiful. Like little, they're probably little glass beads, weren't they? Something like so that. stunning. Yeah. yeah, and the setting with the the abandoned golf course as well. I, I love that stuff where everything is grey and post apocalyptic and the tall grass. Mm. Yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, I, I mean, it probably did so with you guys as well. Did, didn't it remind you of Wowie? Oh, Wally? Wally. Oh, oh the Pixar. You know, I've, yeah. I've ne still never seen Wally. Oh my gosh. I know. You're missing out. I am. I know. <laughs> it didn't, I didn't think of Wally, but when you make that connection, yeah. I think, yeah, I the can cubes see of trash and yeah. just the lapidation everywhere. Yeah. Um, I, I found it really surprising because I, I love when it wears Anderson. Mm. And um, Fantastic Mr. Fox is, is one of my favorite films of his and in general. Mm. Um, also, Moonrise Kingdom is 
just awesome and Grand, Grand Hotel Budapest is fantastic. And so I was I was going in thinking I would be in for Fantastic Mr. Fox-esque, you know, mm. um, quaint, like, storybook adventure. Mm. And what we got was much more menacing. Mm. And, um, as a story. As a story. Yeah. And also the, the images, like the, yeah. the color, the color palettes, very mm. washed out and lots of steely grays and, and blues and yucky greens. It was almost Tim Burton times as yeah, well. With yeah, the, With that, that sort of antagonist um, advisor character. Oh, his face? Yeah, just, <laughs> just really quite mm. um, imposing. And Don't quite know. scary. Yeah. Mm. And then just the whole themes of, you know, um, the abuse of power and 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 having having that that fear running through the entire movie um, yeah. there's a there's a pressure on the characters and i think it, it comes through in a lot of a lot of small scenes that are really uncomfortable to watch um, there's a couple of operations. That yeah. was amazing. <laughs> the kidney transplant. Oh my gosh. But also the chopping up of the sushi. The sushi. Oh, I love that. That's the, right. The it was amazing. Scene. But I was just like, that's yeah. barbaric. The living yeah. that was alive. And, yes. and the fish yeah. still wiggling. Yes. And the mouth was still Absolutely going for a while. brilliant. And the animation of that sushi scene is some of, uh, some of the best stop motion animation I've ever seen. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. It was beautiful. That's, I forgot that was so wonderful. Yeah. I love the starting with the drumming and just yeah. like oh, the yeah. rotations yes. and, the, and just the, the energy of that just yes. got me and so... And that music, again, Alexandra Desplat, for whom I don't always have um, nice words to say, <laughs> so, following the shape, shape of, of bloody water, <laughs> or Amelie as we like to call it. But, um, but yeah, I thought that his mm. music throughout was magnificent. Yeah. But you're right about the dark themes and whatnot. There were, there were I can think of at least three scenes where mm. I thought, ooh, Oh, I wouldn't want little people to be watching mm. this. And one of them is when they come across the the uh, cage with the bones oh in it. Oh my god! Yes. And everyone's like, "That's such a oh dark joke." Oh my gosh! Yeah. And then <laughs> it's adorable when he's got the key and he opens yeah. it, and all the dogs go, "Oh no!" <laughs> it's like, oh, "Oh no!" And the audience is going, "Oh, that's terrible! It was that easy." Um, but also, they, you know, I, I love the running gag of mm. Jeff Blo- Jeff Goldblum's dog always saying. Hey guys, did you hear the rumor? Yeah. No, what? Did yeah. you hear the rumor about so and so? And then he talked. Oh no, actually, I think in this instance, it's it's um, uh, Brian Cranston, who's called Chief Chief King. No, Chief, I think. I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Him, anyway, yeah. him, uh, the sort of, you know, the, the loner kind of dog. Mm. And I'm, and he talks, doesn't he? He tells the very brief anecdote about the dog who hangs himself by his own collar. Oh, I know, And I yeah. thought, oh my God, that's awful. <laughs> and I wouldn't want anybody little hearing that or, yeah. you know, and it's it moves on. Mm-hmm. But it still does signify, this is not a kid's movie. It's a gag as well, isn't it? It's yeah. such a... Oh, such a funny little joke. Sort of. <laughs> well, yeah. But also just so horribly human yeah. and just mm. like, oh, awful. So you're right. There's a real darkness to... Well, the, um... the, the, the air being chewed off right at the start. Yes. Yeah. And the rats taking the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's grim. And I really admire, I think I re-admire um, mm. Wes Anderson for what I think is really quite a bravura film. Because yeah. not only does it look spectacular, but as you say, William, it, it really tackles some... It tackles some interesting dark themes in quite an interesting dark way. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, it is a satire that abuse of power, and it feels appropriate. You know, a film that speaks to the Trumps, the Kim Jong Uns, the, yeah. the Putins of this world. Yeah, it feels very appropriate mm-hmm. and relevant. Um, and I love how the the central, you know, uh, dog, well, the the central dog dogmatic belief <laughs> uh, around. Unintentional, I swear. Mm-hmm. Uh, around the, the the baddies is so is so ridiculous um, that it can be used for satire and mm. it can be used to shine a mirror to you know our world. Mm. 
in terms of their obsession with dogs, with dogs and cats, cats and all the evil people who have yeah. a cat on their shoulder, yeah. and then they go to jail. There's like a little tray for kitty food. It's oh. very satisfying. Being, I'm a dog lover um, <laughs> to the extent that I really, actually, don't really like cats as people. I don't like them at all. As people, I just don't like them. Period. You know, I've oh. had a few that I think are okay, but you know what I mean. I, I, you know, I'm big on judgment. Um, so, as a dog person, it's quite a satisfying film in that regard. That for once, you know, be it's not all about cat lovers and cat people. Because uh, but sick of that. I, I will just point out that I mean I know this is a fairly on the nose and um and rather obvious connection, but I did think it was interesting that the dogs in um, Isle of Dogs obviously wear collars, and mm-hmm. that's part of the control aspect. And admittedly, they don't blow up, but that the children obviously have the um, exploding collars on them. Um, a la Running Man. Um, <laughs> so there's there's a connection. Yeah. I loved an Isle of Dogs. I mean, I loved so much of Isle of Dogs. I loved everything about Isle of Dogs, as we know. Uh, but the little oracle played by Tilda Swinton. <laughs> yeah. and, and her gift was just being able to watch television. Yes. That yeah. is so, Very clever. So funny. Very and they clever. kind of made reference, you know, in, in, in her seeing sessions. Yeah. And it's just her, like, poking her head over a window while <laughs> yeah. she's watching TV. Yeah, that's right. Um, and they, they're just so wonderfully put together. And that little joke where they talk about it and she's like, oh, what? Because you've yeah. been watching TV. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's very funny. The, you see, so I did think to myself, did Wes Anderson choose? Um, uh, yeah, did he did he make a conscious choice for his film based on things that he'd seen in Battle Royale? So I thought I'd give mm. it a bit of a Google, and I found absolutely nothing to corroborate that whatsoever, which is somewhat satisfying given that here we are breaking that particular mold. <laughs> but um, but it is interesting, and I admit, I admit that these are tropes that I suppose if you're going to have people on an abandoned island, then you're going to have dilapidated buildings and probably yeah. an old power plant. But both has an old now unfunctioning, dysfunctional, whatever, power plant. Both mm-hmm. films have. Yeah. Um, and, um, and yeah, just the very fact of, of, of um, moving, as you, as you said, William, in your precy, um, a subsection of society mm. and then dumping them on an island. And mm. also the tracking devices and the ability yeah. for both states to be able to track to some extent and, and follow what's going on. There being zones where yeah, there are zones of safety yeah. and zones that aren't safe and that sort of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, apparently he didn't do that on purpose. Or if he did, he hasn't uh, hadn't made an interview about it. So uh, mm. there you go. Mm. But we'll tweet him this podcast and then get him to comment. Yes, 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 Wes, if you're listening, just let us know. Yeah, just let us know. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed those shots of um, the various characters kind of trekking across the island mm. through the middle fingers oh. of, the, uh, of the island and just the different lo- locations that we saw. Yeah. And But also, you know, not just visually, but also the way that it constructed though that, that, that um, sequence of locations so mm. that when they brought it back with the the trackers following them, you understood where they were going. Yeah, yeah. There's a really clever visual storytelling that mm. happened throughout the whole film, particularly in that, that section. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, going back to Wes Anderson just being so detail-oriented, mm. the the animation and the puppetry and the sets, I mean, you know, it's, it's the case for, for any stop-motion movie, but especially with this one, it is so intricate. And there's so much layering going on. Yeah. Um, because everything, I mean, everything is basically in camera. I, I feel like there's very little that was done digitally, like post, post-production. post mm. um, And to see, like, you know, uh, backgrounds being out of focus and and tiny little smoke effects made out of cotton. That, yes. Like, oh, I, every time there was the fights, um, you know, the, the, the bus stops between the two lots of dogs yeah. or whatever, and all the cotton wool or whatever it was. <laughs> 
Oh, it was just gorgeous. And so, yeah, well, with everything being in camera, I, I mean, the amount of work that went into this movie is insane. Yeah. yeah. I want to know how they developed the story, you know, mm-hmm. because it's it's clearly had a lot of um, crafting. Mm. Yeah. And, and and then, of course, that all has to be planned. I guess it's similar to a Pixar film, isn't it? And they yeah. kind of think tank it over a long period well, of time. Well, th- if I remember rightly, there were four of them in the credits, and we could look it up, but I'm pretty mm. sure it's um, him, Roman Coppola, who yeah. he often collaborates with, yeah. um, Jason, Jason Sh- Schwartzman, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't remember who the fourth person is. But they're obviously, they've done this many times together, yeah. and they will have had a whale of a time. Um, putting the story... I love the fact that the story really counts and that the story is engaging and it is a great quest movie and you do want to follow on and see what happens and and that there are those lovely twists that with Harvey Keitel's ruffian dog, half of whose whose face is sort of shaved or has worn, the fur's worn away and the other half is still furry and that there is the assumption that he's one of these cannibal dogs and then it turns out that he isn't at all. I think there was so much nice That reminded me a lot of like uh, George Miller movies, Um, so Mm. Mad Max and Babe Pig in the City, I Mm. mean, of these horribly scarred, you know... Um, I guess in Babe was what ex-circus animals, yeah. mm. um, and how they have hearts of gold, but you know, rough and gruff exteriors. Yeah, yeah, yeah awesome stuff. There was a that whole sequence in that you know with those the cannibal dogs or the indigenous dogs, as they yeah. call them. Yeah, um, which there was an interesting narrative as well about indigenous mm. and cannibals and the kind of narratives we tell about people that are you know are indigenous. But there, there was there was interesting all the different um, experimentation and scars yeah. that they all had. Uh, that was a it was a wonderful visual scape. What about the romance? There's a lot of romance in that film as well. Well, actually, in both, right? Battle Royale. Mm. The thing yeah. that struck me is every time someone was dying, there was someone of the opposite sex saying, mm-hmm. "I really like you," yeah, or vice versa. <laughs> and sometimes it was disingenuous because it was to be manipulative. But for mm. most part, it was, "I've always fancied you, and you don't even know my name." <laughs> And all this, and I was like, oh my, and again, as you said earlier, Jeremy, teen preoccupations, oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm sure I spend far too much time in my middle-aged way saying to my students, guys, you're not going to be with them in five years' time, don't even worry about it, you have many more hearts to be broken before you, you know, blah, blah, and they're all like, oh, miss, you're bumming us out. I I had a student (laughs) not go on our field trip this week because she wanted to be with her, her boyfriend, it's like, come on, zoo trip. Zoo trip Trump's boyfriend. Um, but anyway, <laughs> no. sorry, not in their world. But in <laughs> um, but in Isle of Dogs, there are only the two relationships. Well, there are actually only no, the two sort of female three. characters. There's three relationships. Oh no, sorry, there? I mean romantic ones. But okay, they're not. Are you talking about Atari and? And, 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 yeah. and spots, yeah, and spots. Of course, Atari and spots is a relationship because it's not his name, is it? Or are you just you from? Oh, no, sorry, Atari's the kid, the, oh, the little oh, pilot. No, I thought you were referring to the the, 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 um, the Greta Gerwig character. character. She's got freckles, and I thought you were. No, no, <laughs> spots. Her name, no, no, her name's. Oh no, no, that's Tracy. Oh, hmm. you're right. Okay, I hadn't they thought a, about they have a relationship. I hadn't they? thought about the humans. You're right. So Tracy fancies Atari. Yeah. Who then says at the end that she's an attractive journalist on the or reporter on the school newspaper. That's true. Yeah. I was thinking of the dogs though. So there's cinnamon and there's peppermint, um, and they're the girl dogs. And, and, and nutmeg. Oh right. wait. Not it's, cinnamon, it's, it's nutmeg, nutmeg, and peppermint. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can you see know, where I got that from. The Greta Gerwig character, Tracy, mm. that they modelled her look after Kerry Lynch from Angel at My Table, the Jane Campion. No. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He, he saw that look and wanted to you know, emulate really? that. Really? Isn't that It's the same hair, except that Kerry and Lynch's hair is red, or is auburn, yeah. obviously, in yeah. Angel at My Table. Good Lord, that's obscure. Yeah. <laughs> so Wes Anderson's on, he's, he's quoted as saying that. That's odd. 
Because I noticed that Tracy had those typical sort of cartoon, very, very skinny little legs Mm -hmm. that actually, in Battle Royale, all of the girls with their tiny little school skirts, with the indecent amount of petticoat underneath the school skirts, and I know this is a cultural thing, but it's so dubious. But... Nonetheless, um, yeah, they all have like these perfect little, um, perfect little stick legs as well. How do you feel about an American having to come in and pretty much incite political change in a, in a Japanese context? Well, how do you feel about an American director making a film about Japan? Hasn't well, there been an uproar my, about all that? That was my segue. You know, <laughs> that's that's something that we'd, we'd shared an article around. Yeah, about. It's funny, right? Because, I mean, the the moment where, um, uh, what's her name, Tracy, uh, smacks around the Yoko, Yoko Ono character, yeah. I did feel kind of off. I, I know I was going into it thinking, no, this is this is rubbish. I, I'm going to go in with an open mind. Mm. Um, but with that, it was like, oh, this is a little tone deaf. Yeah. Um, but I personally, I, I find apart from that scene, if I was okay with everything else. Yeah. I think it's a fair point. I totally mm-hmm. was too, but simply because it's such a fairy tale. Mm. Yeah. And... I don't even want to wait. I don't even want to stick my toe in issues of whether people of a different race are allowed to tell a story in another country or of a different race. And I know it's really touchy, but I feel like everything about the uh, Wes Anderson's story and most of his stories is that they are fables, they are fairy tales, they are none of them are supposed to be are trying to be realism. Realism, mm-hmm. um, do you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't. I couldn't find it in myself to have a problem with it. I think the, there's that criticism that this is, um, you know, exotifying Japan. How, um, you know, the main characters that we stick around with, uh, the dogs, have been translated into a very American sensibility of uh, English and all that, um, and that the the intent of having the Japanese characters speak Japanese without being subtitles mm. is to is to otherify them, mm. um, which I find really fascinating because. It's it's not something that he's only done in this movie. I mean, in Fantastic Mr. Fox, you know, the, the human characters mm. are British and the animals are all American. Mm. And gosh, that movie goes a long way into, um, quote, otherfying the humans as grotesque, you know, horrible yeah. monsters and having the animal society being be very genteel and yeah. very, you know, civilized in relation to that. So I, I don't, again, personally, I know different people that feel different things, but I, I don't feel that, that that argument really holds much water. Mm. Um, but again, once you bring in the words cultural and the words appropriation together, mm. um, a lot of people have a lot of views. I find it really problematic when we talk about exoticism because, and I know that it's now um, uh, an insidious term to some degrees, to some degree. But the truth of the matter is, I've just spoken about wanting to wallpaper a room in my house with the beautiful, um, uh, you know, the, the sort of the beautiful Japanese rice paper designishness mm. of the film and the look of the film. And, and I think it's gorgeous. And I don't care who constructs it from where. I think it's gorgeous. And I would mm-hmm. love to have that as wallpaper in my house. And I, it is exotic and it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that that's a negative thing, but it's really tricky. How can you personify the Japanese characters in Isle of Dogs without their having, and maybe you can, so I'm just, I'm just, you know, run with me on this, but how can, I mean, they, they all have um, yellow, shiny sort of skin, mm-hmm. um, and the and like the um, commander Do, uh, Domo or whatever his name is, who is the evil 
the evil sidekick, is a, a grotesque sort of character. You could say, well, look, that's unfair. And da, da, da. So I don't really know how one would have done it differently, given that we're still talking about a fairy tale where you're mm. going to have caricatures of, of, of character types rather than ethnic types. Do you get yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I do. What do you reckon? I, I didn't have an issue with it. Um, I, in terms of that argument you were mentioning before about you know, otherfying the Japanese character through their lack of subtitles. I loved, I loved that. I thing. thought that was yeah. clever. I loved that, eh? and how they allowed the language to just be, and how they had other constructs to to get the help us understanding understand enough. Absolutely, which I thought was cleverly done. Yeah, and I think that if you're a Japanese speaking um, person, then you're going to enjoy that film as a, with an additional layer mm-hmm. because you're going to understand what's what's being said. Um, yeah, I didn't have an issue. But then again, I also feel like I'm not the person to speak on such no, that's as the a thing. white man from and, New Zealand. And this is it. I'm not Japanese. And maybe yeah. I would have found it way more offensive. Yeah. And it's interesting because very few people from Japan have actually commented. It's, it's all Americans. Um, mm. uh, mostly, you know, white middle class Americans. Uh, right. Or Asian Americans who are not Japanese. Mm. And so, I don't know. Do, do you have a certain right to comment if... I don't know. It's I, messy. It is uh, messy. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, and you draw the point about the British. Um, and I know that it's different because British people are white people too. And so, and the British have always been baddies in American movies, you know, until fairly recently. They've literally only ever played baddie roles. And I don't think yeah. the Brits have ever really got up in arms or had any justification for getting up in arms about that, you know. And then I think, because uh, I've been thinking about this after watching Our Dogs, um, you have movies like Moana and movies like The Breadwinner, which very very i mean uh, acutely deal with other cultures but but are made by almost completely you know western studios um and no one really strikes up a fuss about those at least not in the you know the the popular media and the the social media around this stuff um and i wonder whether that's just a, a wes anderson thing or whether japanese culture is something that is is big enough and that's well understood enough for people to actually feel something uh, when they watch it. Yeah, I hear you saying. Yeah. But for, I, for who to feel what? Um, to, to feel discomfort or to feel um, that appropriation is actually happening. Whereas people, the same people who go see Moana have have no no qualms about it, even though, you know, there's a lot of stuff in that movie that doesn't doesn't really sit well. Right. Yeah, just because it's more well-known. Yeah. I, I also feel like there hasn't actually been that much criticism in, in regards to what we're talking about beyond an article that I read. Mm-hmm. And I may be wrong in that, but I feel like um, I haven't, apart from the article that we shared in our group chat, I haven't mm. actually seen much more mm. since then. So um, yeah, in terms of uh, how much of it, how much of it is part of the zeitgeist is to be debated, really. Mm-hmm. I just think yeah. it's such a problematic. Um, I think it's such a problematic question when you then, if, if it was to extend to, well, Asghar Fahadi is Iranian, is he allowed to make movies in France yeah. about French people, um, or is anybody allowed to, any American allowed to make a movie about something that happens in the Middle East mm-hmm. or what, whatever it might be? I just think it's. I, I just don't know how. You can say, well, you know, Sarah, you have a, a New Zealand father and an English mother, and that's the limit of this type of stories that you're allowed to tell. Yeah, I hear you know, you. I totally. It's like, hear oh well, I actually, yeah. I lived in Singapore for two years when I was a child. I would love to make a story that that was that, that is situated in Singapore, even mm-hmm. if it's from the perspective of a um, an expat New Zealander living there. Yeah. But you know, but whoa, hold on just a second, because how would I therefore portray the Singaporeans? Well, I would portray them through my lens as an 11-year-old New Zealand girl. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's racist. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Um, speaking of more extreme points of view, um, have you guys seen Battle Royale 2? No, no I wanted to, but I it's, haven't. It's I'm... a crazy movie. I would say recommended, but it's it's not a good movie. It's a crazy movie. Is it more that... of the same? No, 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 no. Um, so basically, um, the gist of what happens is the Japanese government, in response to the events of Battle Royale 1, send new groups of students with, with you know, neck bombs to try and take out the old group of students who've now formed a almost um, uh, early 2000s Bush era type resistance on a deserted island. Um, and it ends up with the Americans threatening to missile the whole place. And the whole thing is anti-American, like to the brim. Right. Um, and a satire on the invasion of the Middle East. Right. Um, and, and portraying the, you know, the insurgents as the goodies. The, and the Americans as, as like fascist, horrible human beings. Right. Um, very, very interesting. And of course, filmed, uh, by Japanese directors and, and with Japanese actors and commenting on something that is very, very un-Japanese. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's intriguing. Mm-hmm. Is it the same actors, the same two uh, leads? Yes, yes. The leads are the same. Wow. Um, but, uh, it was directed by, um, uh, Fukusaku's son because he, he passed away uh, after starting the movie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So he, but his, his, his kind of, he was in the genesis of the project. Yeah. Um, I my the biggest issue that I have with Battle Royale watching it again is the final twenty minutes because mm. <laughs> um, the film I thought was, was really enjoyable. I loved the, uh, the the numbering off of people as they mm. passed away. It reminded me of the of Seven Samurai where you mm. get the the mm-hmm. sing of the people, and I mm. loved that when I yeah. first watched Seven Samurai. How you were able to keep track of who was around, mm. and uh, it works really well in this film. Mm-hmm. And I, and one of the most thrilling scenes for me is when. Um, the main baddie guy, the one that has his black eyes bleeding, his, his black bleeding eyes, whatever that is, um, mm-hmm. in the end, how he has that standoff with the girl with the zapper. Mm-hmm. Um, how there's these two kind of villainous forces. It's really great because you you care about kind of hear about her at that point. Yeah. Oh, I watched the extended version. I don't know if you yeah. guys watched the extended version. You see a, you see a clip from her childhood and how there's how a potential guy was going to molest her and she pushes him down a stairwell. No, wait, who? The nasty girl. Yeah. The horrible one who's really horrible and like really (laughs) self-assured and you're just really looking forward to her dying. Just before she passes away, you get a flashback to her as a little girl and her mother's drunk or drugged. Oh, well, that's interesting because that's a, that's a, you know, I mean, there's some backstory that might have made me think more warmly towards her. You do. Instead of what a cow. You change and then, of course, she she hears that battle with that guy and dies. But wait, Mm. does everybody get a backstory in, in your version that you saw? No, no. Well, I think that's silly. I think some unless you're going do, to give yeah. everybody one, I don't think you should just give some people one. Well, it, I mean, it works. It feels like as the ensemble feel. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and you get information about the characters in other ways. But, um, but yeah, just, sorry, they, they, I just love that scene and the, that fight they had and then mm-hmm. the, the, um, the, the zapper and the taser know, and the taser that's mm, it and mm. how the um the the bulletproof vest becomes a key part of it yeah like that. Um, and, and so it's all set up throughout the entire movie and I love it yeah it's really yeah. well and also like how the um the the, the rubbish tin lid becomes a key <laughs> defense mechanism oh, yeah. and yeah. how they use the binoculars and things yeah but um no for me when the the other guy who had who's previously won the competition yes when he does that sort of mm-hmm. pantomime of uh you know i'm gonna kill you guys and then it's all a cover and then the military just all leave yeah it just all starts to get a little bit silly mm. um in a film that is very silly but it's, i was gonna say it might have been a bit silly before then even jeremy but, but yeah, yeah it starts enough. to break its own rules sure sure mm. um, interesting I mean, you say about the countdown because actually um actually i i feel and i've said this before my tolerance for 
uh, gratuitous violence is, is slightly, um, my tolerance for it, I guess, is waning. And so the, the countdown every time, and they'd go, 20 left, and I'd go, really, that many? You know, there was a part of me that, um, oh, it was a little bit like seeing um, uh, the Friday the 13th movie. Um, I think it's called, stupidly, the final the final. Um, the final chapter and it turns out not to be and um and you know how many young people there are in that movie and i was counting down i, I mean I, I, I what does he get up to i guess he gets up to 13 or no actually i can't even remember but whatever it is and i'm counting them down and then i'm seven people through and i'm like can we just hurry this up you know oh my god really only nine come on you know that's a little bit how i felt with battle royale because there were moments when I did, you know, put the teacher aside and think, hang on a second, this is really unsavory. I saw a film um, in the festival last year called Tragedy Girls, and it's about, it's a contemporary movie, and uh, two young women decide to um, wreak revenge. No, no, I know what it is. They're obsessed with a serial killer, and they capture the serial killer, and then they go out and they start um, serial killing, oh, basically. Right. And I just found it really grotesque. And I know that people really loved it and thought it was clever and cool and da-da-da. And for some reason in that film, maybe it cut a little bit close to my feeling more sort of love and empathy for my students. And I just thought, this is just really horrible and... Mm. Um, just nasty. And sometimes I think, oh, I don't need any more nasty. Technically, Battle Royale is only nasty, but there is something quite clever about it. Yeah, I think um, without the satire, it's not It's quite, just it's, nasty. It's just nasty. Yeah. yeah. But as a commentary on those things we've talked about, it, it that's what elevates it. Redeems it redeems it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, and it, there's a better laugh about certain yeah. aspects. And I, I find the, you know, the teenage melodrama works well enough that, you know, you care enough about the characters for any deaths or any successes to, to actually make an impact. Mm. Um, and especially, I, I don't know, what do you guys think about um, Takeshi Kitano as the, the main teacher? I, I think main. he's got a lot of heft. So <laughs> I thought he was, I, in fact, it was almost like he wasn't acting in a way. I don't know. He, he, he was really credible. I love I, his eye twitch. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, eye twitch is great. What, what were you? What were you thinking? Um, because uh, it's funny, right? Because he, he's a great director, mm. and he. Um, I also I, I first knew him from watching the reruns of. Do you guys watch MXC? No. Uh, Most extreme challenge, and he hosted a game show in the eighties where um, Japanese contestants had to go through these crazy gauntlets of obstacle courses, and he he would be at the top of a castle, and if you reached him, you would win like a million yen, mm. and it's hilarious. And then there was an American dub where they dubbed him and his co-host as like frat boys mm, mm. Um, just ridiculous stuff and then I saw him in Battle Royale it's like well this guy can really act mm. um, and then from then like I, I've really enjoyed all his work he appears on Japanese TV a mm. lot and he's he, been in other movies I've seen him in oh, other, heaps movies, of other movies right yeah yeah he, he um, directed and starred in uh, Zatoichi the yes, Divine Swordsman yes that's right oh, that's right yeah that's, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I found that his that the sort of his relationship with the young girl very gross yeah, and also yeah. kind of problematic because I'm like, why would you put her on this island if you kind of secretly yeah. love her? It doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, that was interesting that she has a, she has a dream, right? She has a dream that kind of connects the two of them together. Mm. It, it gets a bit strange <laughs> and a bit unsavory. Yeah, and I'm not sure what that what they were doing. I've, I've read um, I've read comments again um, about Battle Royale that do mention um, what they they term as um, Japan's sort of obsession with youth. Which I, you know, it's really obvious, isn't it, in the pop culture and the, um, well, in all of the personification of, of young people and all that sort of thing. Uh, and it's 
I don't know, maybe that's borne out in that sort of strange mm-hmm. relationship between the, the, the schoolmaster and... And that, that girl. And that girl yeah. It's a nice connection, though, again, with uh, Isle of Dogs, that fascination with youth or, or yeah. the, the, the topic of youth. And that the uh, Atari character, you know, he he is the salvation of this society. Yeah. And how he ultimately becomes the leader of... Yeah. Of... of um, the mayor. Yeah, um, and he's town. 12. And I thought, gosh, he's articulate and, and smart <laughs> and just quite delightful. And terribly... Um, Self, you know, uh, self-sufficient and, and, and yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, yeah, as you say, Jeremy, by the end of it, it's, it's this uprising of young people who manage to save the day. Mm. Um, and I, I thought there'd be, there'd be some twist where, you know, the, the government shuts them down or anything. But no, they, they win. Yeah. Um, and they win through, I mean, through, you know, belief in their cause and through the, the mayor's kind of connection with Atari, which mm. I thought was, was really nice. And of course, leading to the kidney transplant scene, which was oh man. <laughs> so maybe it's, maybe it's the anti battle royale in a way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great place to finish it. So thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or subscribe to us on Twitter and YouTube. These are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss or compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time. And until then, I'll get down more.